And this morning, we another chance for reflection on the Dharma. And uh, you've seen during this past week, I had a chance to reflect on the, say, the ordinary and the mundane and the uh, all the worldly dhammas uh, of greed, hatred, and delusion, as well as reflect on the grand kind of visions that have been presented to the mind uh, through the talks. And so this is uh, important for you to consider how to use the the uh, conditions we find ourselves with. Like yesterday I, I talked on de- devotional practice and didn't get really very far into it. <laughs> but uh, the practice of metta as a way of, of uh, <clears throat> learning to be mindful of the unpleasant, the that which we find ugly and repulsive uh, that we experience through the mind, the senses. Another practice that is very much a part of the Theravadan tradition is the, uh, what, the what we call the sharing of merit. And this uh, is greatly misunderstood by Western people because the idea the word merit itself somehow is not a very inspiring word when you think of girl guides and boy scouts and the brownies <coughs> but in in Thailand or in Buddhist countries uh, merit is something that is greatly sought after and uh, considered uh, something uh, quite worth pursuing into do good actions for the for gaining merit or for what we mean by this is by doing that which is good <coughs> in the in the world uh, not for one thing because it if you if you contemplated karma you see that to do good you receive good do bad you receive bad but also for the <coughs> welfare of all sentient beings so in the act of sharing of merit, it's a skillful means which Buddhists use uh, in order to let go of the idea of one gaining through meritorious action. In other words, uh, one does a good action uh, and any merit or grace or goodness or good result or reward or happiness or joy, or anything positive that is that one receives from this good action, is to be shared uh, and given back for the welfare of all sentient beings. Now, this this conceptual way of of talking is a way of of letting go of the idea of accumulating uh, merit for oneself in a, in a selfish way. The uh, the attitude of doing good for the welfare of others rather than for personal gain because the tendency even in Thailand is sometimes to think of that you yourself are accumulating great storehouses of, of merit by doing this and by even sharing the merit with, with other beings you're somehow gaining more merit by sharing it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, and now this is a, this is an act of devotion, uh, which comes becomes quite significant in your life when you when you realize that you personally, you as an individual, your body and your mind has its profound effect on the universe. Where we tend to think of ourselves and think, what I do, it doesn't matter. I can do what I want. It's none of your business. Uh, and uh, if I do evil things, it's my business, not your business. And I'm, and uh, if I'm not hurting you, why should you care? Uh, this this tendency in the West to be very strongly identified to a sense of being a unique and individual that has no connection with anything else and somehow is outside uh, the whole and so what I do is my own business not yours and this uh, this has reached uh, in the West I think its peak of of selfish uh, development in the recent years to where uh, our identities are so limited to this body and our desires that we have with sometimes very very insensitive and irresponsible uh, to the people we're living with and the society that we're in and to the world because you think none of your business and we think of our parents you think our mothers fathers say that's not a very nice thing if you've done something very insensitive and cruel to your mother and father and you say shut up it's none of your business <laughs> it's my life <laughs> I can do what I want I'm over 21 <laughs> how dare you interfere with my life trying to possess hold on keep the strings and so forth and we think it's my life and I can do what I want with it <clears throat> well say in uh, uh, an, a previous time in the west or as many Asian countries now the tendency to identification uh, is tends to be broader rather than so specifically uh, directed towards one's, one's own body like in Thailand the uh, Thai people tend to identify more with a family unit than with their stronger identity and sense of, of uh, being a person is very much a part of a family where uh, I can see in my own life I'm speaking from my own experience uh, uh, is that one's identity with a family is very little nowadays at least in my life I don't feel any great strong identity with my parents or with, with a class or with even a nation. These things are very weak uh, in, in my mind. They're not, they're not very strong. And the, so therefore the, the identification tends to be very strong with the individual self, with me, with this body and the abilities and inabilities, my strengths and weaknesses which tend to cause an increasing amount uh, of anguish and despair as you grow older you become you feel so isolated and alone and so unable to communicate or understand or have communion with another being because 
your conditioning is one of which you you tend to cut off and separate and live uh, in your own world which doesn't include anyone else really so in the sharing of merit we begin to understand that what we do how we live has its profound effect on the on the universe we live in now this was uh, quite an awakening for myself because uh, before I had very much of this sense of none of your business I can do what I want and then through say meditation and beginning to understand what the universe really is I began to see that I had to be responsible for how I lived because not being a mean and nasty and evil person by nature I never have really wanted to be responsible for causing unnecessary misery and suffering to other beings and I could see that uh, if I lived foolishly and stupidly and selfishly that this has its effect uh, on the universe on the on the people I live with on the on the society I'm in and on the country and on the world so all sentient beings suffer because of my stupidity and selfishness now I reflect on this in the monastery we reflect on this every morning and uh, the attitude of sharing our the merit of our lives uh, living our lives <clears throat> during the day in a way that is trying to be as skillful and as sensitive as possible uh, any <clears throat> our actions to be done not for uh, say uh, our own desire to be enlightened but for the welfare and concern for all sentient beings when people ask me what, how, what are you doing for the third world say I share my merit with, with all beings in the third world second and first <laughs> making no preferences and when we think if we reflect that if we live foolishly and stupidly we're adding that much more momentum and power to all that is heedless and stupid and foolish in the world and there's already so much of that anyway we don't need to feel obligated to add to that what is there seems to be a lack particularly now is concentrated effort in doing good and living mindfully so and then the merit any merit to be shared to do this not for one's own sake but for the welfare of all sentient beings then in the practice of sharing of merit we we, we reflect on it's like a, a Buddhist way of praying for somebody like somebody's ill Christians will come and they'll say my, my wife has cancer and she, she's not expected to live much longer do you Buddhists pray? and I say oh yes we do and uh, she said well, will you pray for my wife? And so I, we, we, uh, we uh, say in our morning chanting in that, the merit of our lives uh, any grace or goodness that we might gain is to be shared or good actions done particularly for say and the, and the merit of that good action 
to be shared with that particular person who's ill. So uh, in Buddhist countries, like people will come and they'll say, uh, which, uh, they'll give a dana, they'll give food to the monks, and they'll say, with, can this merit be shared with uh, so-and-so who's ill, or with some with parents who have departed, or whoever one wants to share it with. So you particularly, say, specify the name of that person, uh, and then add, and all sentient beings. So that uh, even though you're, you're, this particular, say, food might be offered for the welfare of, uh, and, and growth and enlightenment of, of one's mother, uh, it's not only for one's mother, but for all sentient beings. So this is, this is the Buddhist way of, ex- of developing the, the devotional side of religious practice. It's, uh, an expanding of the heart in, in, in this way to include all uh, without preference without uh, 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 distinction uh, from the, the finest say to the to one's uh, say the, the monk say to the upachaya the preceptor that ordained us to all the teachers who have taught us to parents and husband, wife, brothers, sisters, uh, good friends, uh, the, the king and queen, the rulers of the country. We, we share our merit every day at Chitters with the, with the prime minister, the members of parliament. <laughs> with with all, uh, say, all the animal realms, all the animal world, and all those uh, uh, in various stages of anguish and despair, such as uh, criminals and and uh, people locked away in mental institutions, all those who are sick and weak, or drug addicts and so forth, down to the most malevolent and brutal beings that exist in the world, the merit offered equally to all sentient beings. In this way, you you uh, you begin to include within your heart, in a, in a very conscious way, all possibilities of of existence of sentient beings that could possibly exist, from the highest, like the deva kind of ethereal, refined beings to the coarsest and most evil and all gradations in between. Now this act of devotion is is uh, is a way of of developing the heart. You say it's a, it's not a, it is not to be a rational, sensible kind of thing in which you have to uh, be guaranteed that you give so much food, you'll get so much uh, so much of a reward or to see vivid evidence that your meritorious life has really had its profound effect on the third world, or that, uh, you know, offering merit every day for criminals in prisons and drug addicts is really solving their problems. This is not a rational kind of thing where you're, you're weighing on a scale uh, the amount of goodness you're doing by the effects that you can see with the eye or hear with the ear. It's an act of faith. And so this 
devotion is, is faith. Is, and faith is action in the world. It's how we live and relate within the human form to the other human uh, or sentient beings that surround us and that we uh, are part of. And, uh, and this is what we mean by devotion. Now, we find with in Buddhism itself and in Britain a sense of not understanding the, the value of devotional practice because it's connected with kind of blind faith. Going around kind of smarmy, sweet sentiments that uh, seem uh, that only foolish people tend to to reiterate. And if we consider ourselves one who doesn't fall for all those silly kind of sentimental things, we tend to feel an aversion arising in our mind uh, toward uh, devotional practices. Uh, like bowing or lighting of candles and incense, chanting, offering of merit, uh, spreading metta, uh, and all this kind of, of thing we can, we can all lump together and say superstition or uh, foolishness. I want the pure teaching of the Dharma, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and give me a practical kind of meditation practice that makes sense and that I can accept and then I'll do it but I don't want any of that other stuff (laughs) now in practice of meditation you you say that like the compassion and joy um, now these arise these are developed in one's life as we tend to they learn to give out rather than to take uh, so many so much of the time you people are saying what did you get out of that meditation retreat uh, when, when you heard his talk did you get anything from it uh, you went to this Buddhist center somewhere, did you, what did you get out of it? This sense of, what, what are we getting from all this? What this Buddhist society, some of what are we getting out of it? <laughs> okay. This is, this is the, this attitude is, a, is the attitude of one who still uh, does not understand karma or rebirth and who still goes at things with the idea of getting something. And so, when we change that to, say, giving, rather than, than taking, like, when we, went, when we come here to the Buddhist Society Summer School, what are we giving to it? Can we give anything? Can, what, how can we help it? How can we give to it? Rather than, what am I getting out of it? You see, now this... Now this attitude of giving is, uh, takes a lot of humility and patience. And yet this very attitude is the attitude which uh, is the path to enlightenment. What, what can I give? How can I help? Uh, and if we can just give ourselves to the summer school, to, to be one who's content with, with uh, the things as they are, rather than, than complaining about this or that. 
reflecting on what's being said without demanding that that things be said that we agree with, but being able to to accept even that those things that baffle us or that we don't agree with, with a patient uh, patience and humility, uh, being grateful for the things offered, for the talks given, rather than being critical uh, and saying, "Oh, I didn't like that. No, I don't agree with that." <laughs> that is attitude of of feeling gratitude. For, for people who have taken the time to come in and offer some kind of experience or knowledge or information or help that, that they uh, have, have experienced or that they can give us, then we accept with gratitude and say thank you very much. Whether we agree or not, whether it's been absolutely fantastic or very minimal, we don't care anymore. We're not concerned about the amounts or how much we get. Even if we get just a little bit or even if nothing, be grateful for that because then you're approaching more what uh, uh, was talked about last evening. So this, uh, say, compassion and joy, uh, uh, karuna mudita, and upeka, we've already discussed metta. Metta is, uh, upeka is the uh, equanimity. And this is, uh, say, being able to remain balanced in, in oneself, no matter what life presents to us. In other words, if we are lacking in upeka in our lives, we tend to be carried away all the time by the qualities we're experiencing through the senses. If you have no upeka at all, somebody says to you, you're absolutely wonderful, you're divine, and you jump for joy, hooray, <laughs> you get very high. That's a really wonderfully sensitive person. <laughs> Then someone else comes along and says, you're so stupid in disgusting. <laughs> and you become terribly depressed. You want to kill yourself or kill the person. And this is a lack, genuine lack of equanimity. In other words, what other people say has, uh, seems to overwhelm you. If it's positive and good, you, you, you're very happy. If it's insulting and and unpleasant, you'll become depressed. Same applies to, say, good fortune and bad fortune. You inherit a million pounds. You jump for joy. And you lose a million pounds and you start thinking of ways of killing yourself. No upeka, no, no equanimity. Uh, you succeed or you fail. You become a great worldly success, acclaimed the greatest human being since since somebody <laughs> and you feel joyful and happy and wonderful and then 
you're humiliated and despised by the world and you feel depressed. No upeka, no equanimity. So in developing equanimity, it's in seeing the equal value of both praise and blame, success and failure, good fortune and bad fortune, these are happiness and suffering, by seeing that both praise and blame, they come and they go, they change, uh, one feels good, one doesn't, but you begin to see that it's not self. You begin to say, examine the the reactions you have, the impulses you have in your own mind. Like uh, in your lives, your daily lives, if you start looking at your own mind, rather than trying to, say, uh, transform yourself into the ideal, or feeling that you more or less have been given a bad kind of deal in life, and you have to more or less just live in, in, a, in a miserable state of what you think you are, you begin to penetrate the very feelings of happiness and suffering, success and failure, uh, good fortune and bad fortune, praise and blame. And you see that even depression, even though it has an eternal appearance of eternality, is only a moment in time. Same with happiness. In the meditation, wisdom arises through this kind of investigation, which is not a judgmental investigation, such as analyzing the conditions by saying one kind of happiness is better than another, or you're not trying to figure yourself out according to uh, theories uh, that you have about uh, what you should be or shouldn't be, but you just observe, be content with the moment as it is, meaning whatever it is, you're aware of it as, as it is, and see how long it lasts. Be one who has courage to investigate things, even the most unpleasant and painful situations are filled with every possibility for enlightenment if you, will, if you make the effort to do so. So in wisdom, you see, wisdom is, is where there is no thing. And in compassion, we have compassion for everything. So in these two seemingly opposed uh, things, where everything and nothing, uh, we find our balance because we're not making preferences anymore. We're not seeking annihilation or uh, an idea of emptiness as a place that we should be identified with, nor are we seeking our identity among all the myriad manifestations that we experience through the mind. But we begin to be at peace with the arising and passing of conditions and with the emptiness. In other words, there's no attachment to either extreme no uh, effort to identify with greed, hatred and delusion nor with no greed, hatred and delusion. So in this practice uh, of, of meditation 
the Buddha was, uh, I think people, it's very hard for, for Western people to realize that the Buddha was not in any way philosophizing about the nature of existence or theorizing or uh, creating any doctrines about the nature of things but pointing away only that uh, is very practical uh, it's not a denial nor an affirmation but a pointer and so therefore when we talk about the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, three characteristics of existence, so forth, we're not saying you, to be a Buddhist you have to believe in anatta, or you have to believe in karma and rebirth, or you have to believe in the Buddha. It's not a matter of belief at all. It's not saying to believe or disbelieve, but to find out to, through your own direct experience of it. In, uh, say, in the Theravada tradition, the, it's a, a very simple kind of, of uh, Buddhist uh, teaching. It, uh, nothing much is, is taught other than, than the, the Four Noble Truths and the Full Path. And then... People tend to criticize Theravadins for, because they, they have these ideas about there's something more than that. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so that you, you start thinking, well, you know, you, you, uh, you want something like, one would like to read Shakespeare rather than start learning the ABCs. See, it's, uh, if you think uh, with those Hamlet and Macbeth, that's much more interesting than than A B C D E F G. But you can't very well start out uh, unless you have incredible biometers from previous lives <laughs> <laughs> reading uh, Hamlet. We have to start out with a simple A B C D. Now, once you learn the basic skills, what you do with them is up to you, isn't it? Once you learn how to read, and this is a book, I am a man, you can uh, find out, you can begin to uh, uh, read more complicated literature than that. But that's up to you, what, how, much, how far you want to go and what you want to do with it. So, let's say, in, in teaching uh, meditation, it's just a way of teaching basic skills, uh, developing some skill in a way of seeing things clearly. And then the rest becomes quite clear, and you talk about shunyata or things of that nature. So that becomes quite obviously real if you... Uh, uh, if you already uh, have penetrated the fact that uh, the things that we think, feel, see, experience through the senses are not self, are just the impermanent conditions arising and passing. All that begins ends, all that arises passes away. And 
Well, I've said once before in the in the very first sutta, uh, the Dhammajaka Sutta, uh, that the Buddha gave in in the Deer Park in Benares to the five disciples, was just this basic exposition of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. Then the end of it, the 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 disciple Kandanya understands. And the Buddha praises him. He says, "Oh, Kondanya, understand. He's he's the he knows Anya Kondanya. And what does Kondanya understand? That all that arises passes away. <laughs> so this is why in our practice, uh, rather than trying to have the God-like vision from the heavenly realms, the celestial view, and understand everything in all its complexity, we content ourselves with understanding the mundane, the ordinary, and penetrating the ordinary, just like the breath, the inhalation, the exhalation, just walking, sitting, standing, lying down, just the most ordinary conditions of our daily lives, uh, there's the Dhamma, the profound Dhamma in all these uh, actions that we <coughs> experience in, in our lives to be enlightened with. If you're trying to seek to understand on the grand, on the grand view, it would be terribly Because that's not the lesson we're to, that's not our uh, that's not what we need to do in this lifetime as human beings. Because we can only understand the grand through understanding the most humble, the most ordinary. So that's why meditation is always here and now, with whatever is, as it is, no matter what its quality might be, high or low, good or bad. And the act of giving out, rather than of getting how much can we give? Uh, let's make our lives one of giving rather than of taking. Because in this outward giving, in that very motion of going out like this, is an act of opening. It's like your body is opening up, isn't it? Where get, grasping or taking is, is closing off, shutting ourselves off. The act of giving, just like opening the palms, giving out, is, it, physically it's even an opening out to others. Uptown, could you have, would it be possible to say a little more about the cultivation of the date park? Like, like the, in the Baramita, in the Theravada school, there are ten Baramitas. The last two listed are Metta and Upeka. And those are also the the first and the last of the Brahma Viharas, you know, if you've noticed. The two, uh, Karuna and Mudita, are not considered Baramitas. Because these Baramitas are perfections that one develops. And therefore, Karuna, Mudita, tend to arise quite spontaneously when uh, when there is mindfulness, when there is uh, when when the other parameters have been established in one's life, 
Now upeka is is uh, people tend to translate that as kind of indifference or uh, or equanimity. Sometimes they'll, they'll they'll use the word indifference, which means not being concerned with anything. So many people feel upeka is just kind of shutting oneself off and saying, and as you see, some maniac comes into this room and starts slashing away at everybody, I just say, in permanent condition, not so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd become kind of monster myself, wouldn't I? Uh, Not being totally indifferent to what's going on. But the the uh, upeka is is that in in ourselves say a way of not being overwhelmed by the qualities uh, of success or failure, good fortune or bad fortune, uh, happiness or suffering, uh, praise or blame that we experience. Now that doesn't mean we're indifferent in a sense of insensitive to praise and blame. You're not, you're not just say, repressing any, any kind of feeling that arises and saying, oh I shouldn't feel happy if I'm praised and I shouldn't feel depressed if I'm uh, criticized. It's not that, because then you, one tends to repress and, and ignore or uh, look away from. But by upeka means to maintain a cool, calm, centeredness uh, 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 toward praise and blame, so that we can be aware of, of the habits we already have. Like it's natural, and I personally, from speaking from my own uh, knowledge of my own character, is that when somebody says you're absolutely wonderful, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> And when somebody says you're rotten and disgusting, I don't like to hear that either. Now, it's, it's not that I should like to hear the true, the, the true facts of existence that I'm rotten and disgusting, <laughs> and that I should despise hearing the untrue fact that I'm absolutely wonderful. It's not, it's not playing games with your mind at all. Uh, that, but it's, awareness of, of the feelings of liking and disliking that arise and knowing them just as they are knowing feeling is feeling and in that you be, become equanimous with it you can accept praise and listen to blame uh, without repression or indulgence so because sometimes in praise there's a lot of truth sometimes we are absolutely wonderful all of us and at other times we're absolutely rotten. And sometimes people are just being nasty. They're just saying you're absolutely rotten because they're angry with you and they want to hurt you. And sometimes people are being obsequious, uh, uh, trying to get something from us by saying you're absolutely wonderful. But we can listen, you know, and, and in that, in that awareness, uh, is, is the ability to respond appropriately. Because we've not been, we're not uh, 
blaming others, we're not uh, reacting to what's being said in a, in a foolish and heedless way. So in uh, Ajahn Chah, he was always, uh, his, one of his great uh, points of stress, stressing uh, in teaching when he was in England last year was see all conditions of equal value. <coughs> Success or failure. Now, say like, like, um, we all like to feel that we're, what we're doing is successful. It was a successful summer school. Oh, yeah. And then somebody says, it was a failure. It was really the worst summer school I've ever seen. And they feel, oh, I don't think I'll even go next year. <laughs> you see, we're reacting. But when we hear, you know, what it was a really successful summer school, we can accept that without trying to deny it. Because we, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's a matter of opinion. Or if it is the most miserable one that one's ever been to, that's a matter of opinion. But one can can accept and learn from from both success and failure, from good fortune and bad fortune, good health and bad health, from uh, whatever conditions we experience in our lives. We see, they all take us to the same place, to the, into the deathless. You see, so if, if you, if, if there's a, in, in the suttas, they say, what is the essence of all conditions? The Buddha said, deliverance is their essence. So all conditions, no matter what those conditions might be, good or bad, if you're aware of them, take you uh, deliver you from delusion. And where do all conditions merge into the deathless? So in, when we uh, are patient and humble and uh, equanimous, then we can be we can allow everything to to teach us uh, and uh, merge in the into the deathless. Does that answer your question?